You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. Smack dab in the middle of a lockout that feels like it'll never end. This is Sacks in the Basement. 30 minutes of Sacks for fans by fans. Brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You heard that ad at the beginning of the show. Do not miss out on their installer job fair. Saturday, February 26th from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. at their home office in Evergreen Park. You do not need to sign up in advance. But think about it. If you've already done some of the work that they do, like you hear those ads about what they do to help keep water out of your home and take care of your foundation, and you're not happy there, maybe you want to go with the fast-growing, award-winning Family Waterproofing Solutions. Or if you've never done it before, you can start. This is a pretty interesting career. Excellent benefit packages. Like I said, no sign-up necessary for Saturday, February 26th. Learn more at FamilyDry.com. My friends, so much White Sox news in a week where you wouldn't normally have it. It's 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 interesting news. It's kind of meta fan news. Alec Hansen, first of all, the prospect that used to be sitting on the same list with the likes of an Aloy Jimenez and a Luis Robert and a Nick Madrigal and, and, and a, a Lucas Giolito. You know, remember there was a point in the MLB Top 100 pipeline when we had so many guys in the Top 100. He was a guy that showed up there and then would show up in the Top 10 of the White Sox. He never makes it to the majors. He retires at 27 years old this week. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you remember the name, and he is one of those prospects that just never, never appeared. And I know it, it was injuries, and there was... There's reasons why, you know, and, and obviously you wish the guy well, but proof that you can have a top prospect that doesn't actually make it, doesn't even show up. I mean, I, Alec Hansen, complete non-factor for the Major League Club at any point. Right, and and here's the thing. This goes back to something we talked about during the rebuild on this show at nauseum, is we talked about you may have your list of 10 prospects. You'd be lucky if you're going to get four of them that are superstars or really good that are core of your team. Sox have actually done pretty well. If, if you think about the original list of the top 10 guys that were in that system, you know, during the, the height of the rebuild when we were basically running out a AAA team on the field and you were just waiting for those guys to get there, a lot of these guys hit and a lot of them made it to the majors and you have got some big contributors and guys that we're going to be counting on for the future, it could have been worse, and you probably still would have thought that the rebuild went fairly well. We, I think we're almost spoiled. We're going to have on Michael Suero from uh, Saxon 35th and talk a little prospects, uh, mostly about the guys that just got added into the system officially, Oscar Colas and Eric Hernandez, and where they fall right now in the system. But the system now is just basically a, a bunch of guys are going to be in the minor leagues for a while. And you're 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 kind of rebuilding it and hoping your player development makes things better. This guy was sitting there in the middle of a group of people that you're expecting to be your core, but you knew not all of them would make it. And he's actually a rare example of a high end sax prospect during the rebuild that didn't actually make it to the majors. Right. And and he is not the only one. I mean, it, the name Blake Rutherford comes to mind immediately <laughs> when you think about guys right. who are right. He was supposed to be. We shouldn't be having a conversation about right field right now, right? We're supposed to be 
looking at Blake Rutherford as as the future in that position. Or Miker. Or Miker Adolfo should have been here, but all the injuries and stuff like that. And now he's a long shot to make the team because he's out of options. And, and he and he hasn't had the chance to develop the way, you know, you, you would have wanted him to over the past few years. And and Rutherford just can't seem to hit. So yeah, that's a that problem. didn't work out. That didn't work out. All right. And then the other big news, Gordon Beckham. Uh, remember once the darling of Chicago White Sox fans around 2009 when he showed up in the majors. Remember, he got a standing ovation at uh, the ballpark in front of the home crowd. And he comes up to the plate and he gets a standing O from White Sox fans who were miserable after watching a World Series team quickly fall out of real contention. You know, kind of snuck in in 08 and really didn't look good for the next couple of years after that. And people saw him as the absolute future and he never made it. And and one of the things that I I think about, and I kind of went back to look at uh, Gordon Beckham and, and how it all happened. If you remember 08, he's in single a right. Oh nine. He splits time between double a triple a, and then the majors. He had a total of 59 games played at all three levels before they got him up to the major leagues. If there was ever a cautionary tale that you may rush somebody to the majors who's not exactly ready for it, I think it's Gordon Beckham. The moment I think of Gordon Beckham, I think of a guy like Andrew Vaughn, who we sit around and we go, here's a guy who should be in the middle of the lineup for years to come. That's what Gordon Beckham was going to be. Right. He was going to be sitting in the four spot. He was going to hit 25 to 30 home runs. He never got up over, I think, 16 in a season. He was never what they expected him to be, and they rushed him up here. His best season ever was that rookie season with the 808 OPS, and then after that, that, that was it for him. I mean, he made, a, he made a Major League Baseball career out of it, but in reality, he was a journeyman utility guy. And it's a shame, too, because when you think back at that 09 season and you think about some of the things he was doing, you know, just cracking doubles the opposite way and he was uh you know sort of miscast as a third baseman they had him playing you know out of position and i know there was some talk that you know the strain of throwing across the diamond and and throwing from different angles and he was used to from playing the middle infield was uh, you know giving him some shoulder problems that contributed but really what it was is that teams didn't have him scouted when he first came up and then they realized that there was a hitch in his swing that they could get stuff past him in the right way and they, they just figured it out and he was never able to fully adjust i think the one bit of hope between andrew vaughn and gordon beckham is, is that beckham had that that instant success whereas clearly we saw vaughn struggling last year so he knows he's got to do something different and he was very clearly learning on the job it felt like beckham was he arrived as a little more like your mean mercedes last year where he comes up, he comes up hot, he comes up and, and does a lot of great things, but then as soon as the league figured him out, he was done. I think Vaughn hopefully is a little bit different, but that was easily the biggest concern for Andrew Vaughn last year was the what the 55 minor league games that he had, right. and not including the alternate site work that, that happened in 2020, which kind of, it's hard to count that. So, yeah, hopefully we're not talking about Andrew Vaughn retiring two years after I thought he retired, to be honest with you. I thought Beckham retired years ago because I kept seeing him turn up on, on Sox broadcasts. Or, or was I missing something there? <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. He he never officially retired. So the last time he played for anybody in the majors was 2019. In fact, that's the last time he played for anybody 
but he was, I guess, trying to play for somebody this whole time. It's really okay. weird to me. Like, okay. 2019 was his last season in Detroit at 32, and he considered himself to be a Major League Baseball player, even though he didn't get any 2020 or 2021. And then he's like, ah, it's not going to work out. It's time to give up the dream. He still has great hair. He has fantastic hair. Oh, fantastic though, right? hair. He's got great hair. He's, you know, he's, you know, he's one of these guys, man. He's good looking. He can get a job sitting in the studio talking about the team or any team that he's ever played with or anything like that. Good looking, man. That's the key to everything. Okay. If you're, if you're good on television in terms of, you know, how people see you you could say, do whatever you want to, you know, that's that's why I'm not on TV, Ed too ugly, too ugly for TV. Uh, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm so ugly. I'm not even, I, I have to be in the choir. I, I can't even be out front. So here, here's the thing about Beckham that I, I really, I never realized that it was the first time I, I took like a fresh look at his stats and looked back at 2009. Did you know that he had an OPS of 808, but an OPS plus of only 106? Now I'm going to compare that to the other time that he had uh, an OPS plus over 100 because guess what? He was always below average. In fact, generally, you know, like 100 is like average for the league. He would range yeah. between 70 and 80. Like, it was brutal <laughs> oh, how bad he was no. in terms of hitting compared to the rest of baseball. He had a 118 OPS plus, which shows that he was above average back in 2014 when he played for the Angels, and it was only over 26 games. So that's why he was able to do it. He had a 756 OPS. So that means at 808, where it was a much higher OPS, and his OPS plus was low, that means in 2009, everybody in baseball was hitting the crap out of the ball, right? So so the thing is, he hits 270 in his rookie season with an 808 OPS, but in reality, he's just above average because everybody was hitting the ball back then. You obviously have a live ball. Offenses are doing so much better in that year. He never duplicates anything like it. Meanwhile, a guy who may be the second baseman, I don't want him to be the second baseman, Leary Garcia. Oh, no. If you look at Leary from 18, 19, 20, and 21, the OPS and the OPS plus comparable to Gordon Beckham to the point where he, I don't think Beckham has four years in his entire career in which he does as well as Garcia has in the last four years. So he had a long time in Major League Baseball, but for the hype that he had, he was never more than the guy who would be backing up Leary right now. He wouldn't even make this team, Gordon Beckham. He couldn't play on this team at any point in his career. No, no, he would be. <laughs> and honestly, because if he was going to be on this team, last year was the opportunity when Nick Madrigal went down before they made the trade for Cesar Hernandez. He was available. I didn't even know he was available. Like, now that I know right. that he, had, he hadn't retired yet, I can't believe he wasn't. I, I guarantee you at some point he saw Rick Hahn because he's over there, you know, he's over there at the studios. He's showing up on the post game. These people interact with each other. He got an opportunity and he's like, you know, by the way, not retired. And Han probably laughed and walked away. Like thinking he was joking, and then I just see a sad face. Right. Gordon Beckham's just sitting there going, "I was serious." <laughs> like in his brain, he's like, "But I was serious." Like he, at some point last year, you know, it crossed his mind. By the way, I'm not retired. I know you got rid of Madrigal. I can get in there. Yep, and and you're right. I'm pretty sure Rick Hahn just went, "Yeah, good one." You know who else isn't <laughs> retired? Frank. Sit in the middle of this winter, this offseason, this lockout, we all know at some point it's all going to end. 
especially the cold. And then the partying begins right here on the South Side. One of the big days back after two years away, the South Side Irish Parade, 13th of March. Guess who's going to be at Cork and Cary in Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue on parade day? Socks in the basement's going to be out there. That's right, the wearing of the green, the drinking of the Guinness. By the way, green beers for the amateurs and the Cub fans. Cork and Cary Beverly, a traditional Irish bar right there in the Beverly neighborhood. An amazing outdoor patio and bar. Imagine if during parade day it's like 70 degrees, the south side is going to be up for grabs. Multiple event rooms for your next party. All of that is available right now. You don't have to wait for parade day. Stop in there at 106th and Western. And then don't forget Cork and Carry at the Park, 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark. Award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. Two for one burgers on Mondays when you dine in non-Sox home games. So guess what? There's no home games right now. So go in and get those burgers two for one on Monday. An extensive bar, rotation of craft beers, all your familiar favorites. And by the way, you know we're going to be out there opening weekend once again. Cork and Carry at the Park and Cork and Carry Beverly. See more and book your next event right now at CorkandCarry.com. Joining me on the phone line right now is debut on Socks in the Basement from Socks on 35th, one of their illustrious authors on that website. Michael Suero's on the line. How are you, Mike? I'm doing pretty well, Chris. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there, man. Uh, we've got some interesting stuff going on. Right now with the owners and the and and the players trying to work things out. Hopefully we'll have baseball on time. But there's also some news with the White Sox over the last couple of weeks. One of those things is the international signings. Now, we've had James Fox on from Future Sox beforehand. He was the guy that was way out in front at one point on some of these guys uh, being signed by the White Sox. You went in this week on Sox on 35th, and you broke down the two big signings, Oscar Colas and Eric Hernandez, now that they're official, and tried to place them in the system, like where they land. Where did you end up putting both of these guys? I mean, I assume Hernandez way down the list because he's 16. Oscar Colas, though, is one of those guys that White Sox fans, you know, they hear a guy from Cuba who's already like 23, 24 years old. They're like, well, he could start next year, which isn't true, right? No, you know, I, I think he's going to probably be on a similar path like us. This was this past year where they're probably going to ease him in a little slower, you know, maybe start him in high A or double A. But um, he was something that I uh, I struggled with a little bit because I actually really did want to rank him as my number one prospect. But it was kind of a battle between him, Colson Montgomery, and Norde Vera. And I ended up putting him second in our system right between those two. I think, you know, Vera, he had a great season last year, but, you know, he only pitched in the Dominican League, and he was a little older for that league, so I think he was kind of expected to dominate. So I think there's still a little more that we have to learn about him. And then comparing Colas and Montgomery, man, it was hard. You know, they both have that lefty power. They both have crazy high offensive ceilings. The thing that I, I couldn't rank Colas ahead of Montgomery, though, just because Montgomery is, what, four years younger, and right now he's sticking at shortstop, so a premium position player. I think those two things just put him a little step above Colas right now. Well, you know, the White Sox system is is interesting now to me because we went through this rebuild, and as we were going through the rebuild, there was a point where we had so many guys that were a year or two away, they were all sitting in the top 10, and that really isn't the case anymore. I mean, Colas is probably going to get here in the next two years, maybe. Uh, same thing with probably Cespedes. I mean, there's there's a chance. I mean, I'm not saying 
this year coming up, but next year you might see him. You might see him for a cup of coffee. You might see him show up at the later part of the year. You can start discussing that maybe in a couple of years, but guys like Montgomery, they're years away. Uh, you know, the West Cath, who's sixth on your list years away. Jake Berger has been on this show recently. He's actually the, the first guy in the top 10. He sits at seven on your list, and, but he's actually got a shot of making the team. But otherwise, you don't you don't really see that. I mean, Vera had a great season last year. He's got to build on that before he ends up in the rotation, although a lot of people think that eventually here's a guy who could be a pretty good starter for the White Sox. So, you know, you've got a lot of really young guys, and now we've signed a young guy in Eric Hernandez. This is a kid, though. I mean, he looked like he got out of class at recess in the eighth grade, went and signed his contract. He's a long way away, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you said, he's a really young kid. I think he just turned 17 years old. Um, no, he, he's going to start this entire season in the Dominican League, as he should. That's about, you know, that 17 to 19 year age range. That's where you want those guys to start. Um, but man, that kid has some crazy potential. I, I couldn't rank him in my top 15 just because there's just so much unknown about him. Like you said, he's such a, he's such a young kid. Like we only we saw a few highlights of him in an amateur tournament. Um, where he's hitting some bombs, and that's great to see, but you just don't know yet. I mean, he's got some lofty expectations, but I think we have to temper those just a little bit. Actually, I think I saw on MLB.com that they were comparing him to Juan Soto already, which I'd love that. I'd love to get a Juan Soto, but I think we just have to, we got to temper expectations just a little bit there. Um, so he, he's actually listed in my honorable mention section of my prospects, but he's going to be someone I think everyone's going to keep a big eye on next year or two he could be a quick riser you know but you just have to wait and see with him you know one of the guys that in fact i want to say the last time that the white Sox spent this much money on a young guy that they did with eric hernandez was mike or adolfo now you have him just outside of your top 10 in your next five grouping when you listed this on socks on 35th here's a guy who's out of options you know, and, and he's going to show up at spring. And this is a guy, I'm going to tell you right now, Mike Rodolfo is the kind of guy that whatever contract they put in front of him and they say, do you want to play baseball or do you want to hold out for a better deal from the owners? He's voting yes, because he needs a spring training right now or his life is in flux. Like there are guys that need to get the spring training because it could mean a completely different path in their career. Uh, do you think that he's going to compete to make this team, I like. I feel like he's a real outside chance, but you got to think he's walking into spring saying, "I'm going to do something." You know, it's funny you bring that up. I actually wrote an article about just that exact situation a little while ago, where I kind of laid out what the options with him are, and man, it's just hard. He's been someone I've been rooting for since, honestly, since they signed him as a 17-year-old. He still has that crazy light tower power, cannon of an arm that would go great in right field, but. It's just injuries have really derailed his career, and you know the strikeouts are still an issue with him. It's great to see they finally made AAA and, and honestly handled it pretty well. It, it's going to be tough, honestly. I don't think he's going to crack the opening day roster, and I, I hate that because I'm rooting for the kid. But we have so many of those power hitting corner outfielder slash first base types already. So it's and right handed hitters too. So. I think it's going to be hard to find a spot for him. Honestly, what I'm thinking is going to happen is you let him play in spring training. If he just absolutely dominates during that time, he maybe builds up some trade value. So maybe a team like the Orioles who have room on their roster to give him an opening day job, maybe they'll give us something for him. Or 
The other, you know, worst case scenario is he ends up, you know, struggling and teams don't really have much interest in trading for him. And then maybe we can sneak him back onto our Miami League roster. Michael Suero writes for SoxOn35th.com. He's nice enough to join us. You, this, this was your first time on Sox in the Basement. I keep I keep hearing from the guys from Sox on 35th when they show up on the show now that we have you guys on so much uh, that everybody's nervous when they get on and talk. You did a pretty good job, though. So I, I think you handled it. Hold your head high and uh, brag to these other guys. Well, I appreciate it. I was not going to lie. I was a little nervous before getting on here too. <laughs> the first time I've ever actually been on a podcast, but I mean, I think you just made it super easy for me, man. Hey, listen, man, look, all you got to do is imagine me in my underwear. It'll make it a lot easier. <laughs> I mean, I know it's disgusting, but it's actually true right now. Oh man. That's an image you don't want a brand in your brain. Hey, any of you out there looking for a lawyer, help protect the people and the assets in your life and your afterlife. Get yourself an estate plan. Will, trust, power of attorney. You need an attorney for probate, real estate closings, prenups. Good luck with that conversation. Not with the attorney, with the person you're trying to have the prenup with. Small business services, starting a business, selling or buying, need contracts. All of that can be handled by Village Law Offices located in Schaumburg, but covering the entire Chicagoland area. 1320 Tower Road, give them a call at 847-656-3600. Or check out everything that they can offer to you at villagelawoffices.com. Village Law Offices, they're going to take care of you from when you buy a house, start a business, and then when you die. Well, that's charming. We talk offense all the time on this show. Uh, you know, it's the easiest thing to kind of break down. What's a guy's value when he's up at the plate? How many runs can he create? Stuff like that. We don't look at defense as much. We have done it. It's more of a difficult thing to do. One of the big issues with the White Sox right now is clearly they are not as good defensively as other teams. When you look at how other teams go out there and play the field, the Sox have been lacking. And Ed wanted to talk about that this week. And I'm going to give him a chance to air. So I mean, like, what did you find when you took a deep dive into the White Sox defensive stats and what needs to be fixed? Well, looking at defensive runs saved, okay, which is a metric that just sort of says between teams, you know, finding the median, who was really kind of bad at using their defense to keep themselves in the game versus who was particularly good at it. From a team standpoint, where do you think the White Sox, the 2021 White Sox ranked? Bottom third. In terms of? Bottom third, I'm going to put them at like 23-24 on there, I'm going to guess. How about the bottom three? Wow. The Phillies were the worst. The Yankees came in second in, in the in the race to the bottom. And the White Sox were one defensive run saved ahead of them. They had negative 40. So they were 40 below average at saving defensive runs. The Yankees were 41. You know, an old adage that my father has told me since I was a child. There were two things. There was something that he would always say, and he'd get the same response out of my sister and myself, even, even as children. First of all, what is baseball? And my sister would immediately say, baseball's life. That's, that was like something that was in our house. It was ingrained into us. So I, I, I picture this as like, you know, Conan, what is best in life? You know? <laughs> right, exactly. But the other thing he would say is, he would say, what wins championships? Pitching and defense wins championships. Pitching and defense Pitching wins Pitching and defense yeah. wins championships. And those two things go hand in hand. Exactly, right. right. So here's the problem. Okay, how many, you know, the White Sox, first of all, one of the, the interesting things is that as far as teams go, they used 
uh, they were in the bottom three in terms of how many players that they used, both position players and pitchers. They, they used remarkably few people last year on the team in major league games. So they, they were relatively stable throughout the season, which is kind of a good thing. But the problem is, is that they are just two AT all the way up and down the roster, pretty mediocre at defense. Their best defensive player is Dallas Keuchel with 12 runs saved. Right, and you know what's crazy about that is that Dallas Keuchel relies on a good defense behind him. Well, Aaron Bummer, Aaron Bummer needs good defense. Right, but, but you know, just try to compare this over the years. Burley, when he would have a poor defense behind him, especially at third base because of the way that he pitched, he would have a much harder season. When he had a good defense behind him, he was better. Look at Bummer last year compared to the years beforehand. Look at Keiko last year compared to the years beforehand. These guys induce ground balls and rely on defense. If you're going to have guys like that on your team, you have to be better defensively. Putting Larry Garcia at second base is not an improvement on that, and I don't see any improvements that have really been brought up and put on this team for next year. That's a concern. Oh, yeah, and, and you know, from the standpoint of who's who's decent, who's above average on the team, and Keiko's the only one that's in double digits. And and you can go all the way up to Ryan McMahon of the Rockies as a second baseman who had 26 defensive runs saved last year. He led the league, the, the majors. Yohan Mankata was plus three. Tim Anderson was plus three. Adam Engel was plus seven. Luis Robert was plus four, which kind of makes me think that maybe his leg was bothering him a little bit more than, than you might have thought when he got back. Well, then the fact that he didn't play an entire season. And, right. I, you know... Uh, the eye test tells me that's that's the best defensive center fielder in baseball, or at least one of the top three. That the eye test tells me that. Watching him in a ball game, I believe that. I, I think him and Angle with a full season, that that number is significantly higher. Well, this is why I make the point all the time, and people think I'm crazy that if Adam Angle can do anything at the plate, like he demonstrated in the shortened 2020 season, or even in in 2019, where you saw an improvement from him, and he's healthy, unlike what he was last year. He would be the guy I'd have out in right field if you can't go out and get something in free agency or a trade that's an upgrade because I'd rather have the defense than sticking Andrew Vaughn out there or or, or trotting uh, uh, Gavin Sheets out there. I'd rather have the defense because there's not enough on this team. Oh, yeah, and defense, Gavin Sheets, uh, you know, now outfield and first base, but negative four, Andrew Vaughn, negative eight. Uh, Zach Collins, by the way, needs to find a new profession. He <laughs> was Collins. he was eighteen. He was negative eighteen <laughs> defensive run saved. Here's the thing: Zach Collins. Zach Collins is not the backup catcher on most championship teams. There, there is a real issue here with Zach. You can't I'm not play sure defense. The Pirates would want Zach Collins yeah, I, as their backup <laughs> catcher right now. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, nothing against you, Zach, but I mean, there's improvements that you need to make very quickly if you're going to be around when this team hoists the World Series trophy. I mean, in a yeah. normal offseason, I mean, look, there's part of me that wouldn't have been surprised if they would have found another backup catcher other than him in the offseason this year. I mean, they didn't. There's still the possibility during the tirade of moves that I expect when the lockout is over, but I, I mean, there's... I don't know why he's automatically or even Zavala are automatically the second catcher on this team because I don't see enough from either one of them that makes me feel good when a guy like Rondell goes down for extended time or even when he needs to sit down for a day or two. You have a big hole that all of a sudden shows up in your lineup and he's not making up for it with defense. Right, and that's what you want. And so I'm wondering too, you know, like with the second base hole, with the right field hole, 
you know, is it is it something where the Sox need to think more about defense because of just how hopelessly average to below average they are as a unit? Because even most of the guys that are, are at zero or above that are in the positive, and your mean Mercedes, by the way, is on that list as a as a you know guy that's zeroed out here. Most of them are pitchers, frankly. You've got Billy Hamilton, Jake Berger. Uh, you've got Aloy, was a plus one. Good for him. You've got very small samples from Luis Gonzalez and Romy Gonzalez. And then you've got your mean, and everybody else is a pitcher uh, that's that's in the positive. So it's not a pretty picture for for the White Sox. And if, they, if we're talking about trying to find another starting pitcher or what's wrong with Dallas Keuchel, I think this is where it starts is – can anybody on this team actually catch the ball? Right, well, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you this right now. If if you told me we're going to bring in a guy that's uh, going to end up a little below average on his OPS uh, compared to the rest of the league, and he's not going to be a great hitter, but he's going to play great defense at second base, and you told me a healthy Adam Angle is what we're going to try in right field, I don't know if I'd be thrilled because I feel like there were options that were out there. But I, I do think it's better than Larry Garcia at second base and the Vaughn Sheets combination out right. Because I know there was a part to what my father would say about, you know, defense and, you know, pitching and everything else like that. He actually used to start the phrase with chicks dig the long ball, but pitching and defense wins championships. Exactly. Okay? I'm sorry if I offended any uh, females with my use of the word chicks. But baby, baby chickens really do love the long ball. Right. They, they come out of the hen. They come out of the egg. I mean, it's just they hatch and are immediately like, hit a homer. And they want you to hit it into the cheap seats. So Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.